world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up! It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be! Uh, you know, alternative names for uh, the werewolf or werewolf by night could have been uh, Joe Cocker Spaniel. <laughs> <laughs> John Doberman. <laughs> hey, Aldo, I also have some dog names that, that we could throw on the pile. <laughs> you know what? You know, I got to pitch. I got to tee this off now. You know what else they could have called werewolf by night? What, John? Rover Cleveland. <laughs> or or perhaps Fuzz Aldrin. <laughs> how about how about Mutt Damon? <laughs> uh, Alright, Mutt Damon, that's the one. That's okay. the one. Oh, we, you also we can also have gone other. with Bark Ruff Ruffalo. Ah, <laughs> uh, Bark Ruffalo's a good one. You can't uh, Wahlberg though, that name's taken. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's why you notice I skipped that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Also the, the other one the other one that I had was not a pun, it was just Elias J. Poodle. Um <laughs> Because I feel like that would have been about as as subtle as Jack Russell. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe they did that and nobody, like, walked into the writer's room and hit him with a dead fish. No. Just, no. You can't do that. Nope. I mean, at the time, they were probably like, yeah, sure. Okay, why not? <laughs> right. so, like, nobody else has anything better. It's not significantly <laughs> dumber than many other comic names. Yeah. That's also why I keep saying it's one of the best names. <laughs> <laughs> I really like... I, I really want... To write a werewolf by night, but he's an amnesiac and he can't remember who he is, so he calls himself John Doberman. <laughs> <laughs> or it could be a woman, Jane Doberman. Yeah. Either or. Hey, that doubles your casting. That's you know. It does. The Dobermans. <laughs> you have to like. You have to. You have to add that little uh, enunciation on there. You have to really call out that doe. Do you also have to wink at the camera every time you say it? Because it seems every like you have to sense. wink at the camera every time you say it. <laughs> you know what? Not wink, but you do have to look at the camera. How about go, eh, eh, and elbow the person next to you? Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, anyways. Speaking of things that have gone on too long, this is the Superhuman Recognition Podcast. <laughs> How long have we been We doing had this technical issues, and I think we recovered beautifully. Mm, yeah, the edit will be seamless. I think I'll, I think that uh, you should just pick it up here, Stephen. Just got everything before now. Be like, <laughs> imagine our banter. It was witty and delightful. It was witty and delightful. Um, hmm. Further wits and delights will be found as we explore tonight's uh, story that is good, I guess. Oh my gosh, I completely lost the train of thought there. Anyway, we read... <laughs> We noticed. Uh, crazy X-Men crossover, the the final arc of one of John's favorite trilogies. This was Second Coming, the return of Hope Summers and Cable to the quote-unquote present-day Marvel Universe and all of the shenanigans that ensued thereafter. And not, not to give anything away, but John, I didn't hate this. <gasps> That's actually a big relief to hear, because as I was reading <laughs> I, it, I was like, boy, this is long... <laughs> I, oh boy! I, some some might even say I I enjoyed it. Stephen, you are uh, real quiet. Is this a Bluetooth issue or am I in trouble? 
I'm just trying to give Aldo space to express his feelings. <laughs> hey, Aldo, two versus one. Hooray. <laughs> so, John, you ready yes. for the Herculean task of summarizing this monstrosity? Hey, now, I'm, I'm a professional, all right? I had prepared all of this. And you know what? Uh, we are uh, at this moment mourning the loss of the great Queen Elizabeth II. Um, you know, ruled for seventy years. I thought we should add a little little class to the podcast in in keeping with the times. <clears throat> so I have prepared a summary uh, in the words of the Bard, or stolen from the Bard. And I'm trying to do. I'm going to try to do it in received pronunciation. Two households, both alike in dignity. In fair utopia where we lay our scene, from future past grudge break to new mutant nini, where mutant blood makes sentinel hands unclean. From forth the fatal loins of Scott Summers, Nathan Cable Summers loses his life, whose misadventured piteous overthrows doth with his death stop people from confusing him with strife. The fearful passage of his daughter Hope and the continuance of Wolverine's rage and the young girl's powers, which are dope, is now the two hours' traffic of our stage. The which, if you with patient ears attend, what here shall miss, our cast shall strive to mend. Not gonna lie, when you said that you were uh, gonna gonna paraphrase the Bard, I was pretty sure I was in in just waiting for uh, uh, like a Sir Mix-a-Lot remix or something. I actually thought about doing that to uh, Eric B and Rakim, but I couldn't make it work. So anyway, um, we're gonna <laughs> read Second Coming. This was written by Craig Kyle, Christopher Yost, Matt Fraction, Zeb Wells, Mike Carey, penciled by David Finch, Terry Dodson, Ibrahim Robertson, Greg Land, Mike Choi, colored by Rachel Dodson and Sonia Beck. Um, I hope I didn't forget anyone. This was uh, came out in 2010. Um, this is, like Stephen said, the third part in a big overarching story um, that really see everything with the X-Men. The problem is you have to tell one story to tell another story. Um, House of M, mutants lose their powers. A lot of things happen between House of M and where we are now. The, the cliff notes is the mutants have an island nation called Utopia just off the coast of San Francisco. There are very few of them left. Many mutants that aren't X-Men still live there and get sanctuary. They um, kind of had to flee there from Norman Osborn. Um, they had just you know finished in previous crossovers fighting the Dark Avengers. And now they find themselves an endangered species. And they uh, notice that Cable is back. They can't detect hope, but they see that Cable is back. And we see that they arrive back in the future, or in the present, rather. Their past, because they were hiding out in the future. And they show up at uh, the Westchester mansion, and it's a wreck. Nobody's there. Um, very quickly, all of the mutant-hating groups converge on them. And we're led through a chase from New York to San Francisco um, with many different groups. Um, as it turns out, they're all led by Bastion. Bastion is a Nimrod master mold mashup from the future who is like the greatest enemy of the X-Men because the uh, future Sentinels want to destroy all mutant kind. Um, they are single-minded and uh, tireless in their efforts to st just stamp them out. And they're convinced that uh, Hope Summers, the rumored mutant messiah, is the, the kind of linchpin, the, the single point. If you take her out, then everything in the future will go differently. Um, the X-Men are sent 
to intercept Cable and help him, and they fail a couple of times. They realize that the bad guys are tracking Cable and his techno-organic virus, so they separate. Cable goes with the uh, X-Men Alpha team. Um, Hope goes with Rogue. If you remember from when we read Messiah Complex, Hope, um, as a baby, was uh, touched to Rogue's forehead, and she had been in a coma and had absorbed too many personalities, and then she woke up miraculously somehow. And there's some sort of connection between them that we don't quite understand but rogue um you know sticks her neck out for hope and wants to do all she can to protect her so she absorbs powers from archangel from wolverine from nightcrawler from psylocke from colossus and um goes with nightcrawler um doing like crazy portal jumping across the country um until they're intercepted by bastion um uh, nightcrawler sacrifices himself in order to save hope um, saying that he believes in her, he has a moment with uh, Cyclops where he, you know, is not a he doesn't approve of Cyclops using X Force, you know, like a mutant hit squad, but um, realizes that he and Cyclops are men of faith, and we we lose Nightcrawler. Um, it'd be a bigger bummer if we it wasn't comics and we knew that we were going to get him back again. But anyway, all of the X Men come back to Utopia. They have a funeral. All of the teleporters get picked off. And Utopia gets isolated. The uh, One of the enemies of the um, X-Men, Donald Pierce, was in their custody, but then he escaped, sabotages their island, and a big old red bubble cuts them off from the whole planet. <laughs> and so a bunch of San Francisco, all of Utopia, the water all around, um, even down to the ocean floor, a big sphere covers Utopia. And then in the middle of it, a portal to the future opens, and Sentinels start rolling through and just trying to take out all the X-Men, and they can adapt to any power, and they just start trying to wipe them out. Um, Cable has one time jump left um, from his future tech, and he wants to use it to take hope and escape to the future. Um, She says she doesn't want that. She wants to fight. Everyone's risking their necks for her. She wants to fight, too. He uses it to pass through this time portal to where the uh, Sentinels are coming from and try to shut them down with X-Force. And um, they do so with the help of Cypher, Douglas Ramsey. They um, fight their way back through. Cable uh, gives up his life to get back through the portal with X-Force, finally letting go his lifelong fight against the techno-organic virus. And that's what lets him pass through since all living tissue dies when it goes through this thing. But he's able to pull everyone through as this um, virus takes over his body. He dies. Um, Bastion confronts Hope. Um, He and his last two lieutenants, who he's turned into Sentinels. And then Hope's powers become unleashed. And uh, the moment we've been leading up to, because she's the mutant messiah who up until now has shown no powers, she has all the powers. Um... One of the characters, I believe, Prodigy, lays out later, like, she's like a mutant voodoo doll. She kind of um, can express the powers of those around her, as it turns out. Um, But she just unleashes an incredible amount of power, taking out Bastion. And um, as the issue ends, Emma Frost notices that um, uh, the phoenix around Hope, they're having a bonfire, and... There's something about her she notices that it triggers the phoenix, the memory of the phoenix, and she's rushing to tell Scott, and Scott is overjoyed because five new mutants have popped up on Cerebra, and the mutants are back, baby, and there it is. 
I've left out a lot, but still managed to talk a whole lot, and I'm very sorry. Well, I mean, there's a lot, and you gotta cover it all. It's, it's, I mean, this is gonna be a fun story to talk about in some detail, frankly. Yeah. I, I, I liked it. I, th I think, okay, uh, credit what credit's do. I think you did an excellent job summarizing, because it is, it is a big story. Um, <laughs> I th think, I, I, li I liked it quite a bit, and I think for me, it's probably the, the, the big X-Men event that jumps around the least. I think as a standalone story, or even not, maybe not standalone, but I think as a story, or as a kind of third chapter, we have, like, a pretty clear protagonist to follow, uh, or set of them, right? Uh, and everybody kind of, everybody, most everybody hops in at the beginning of the story, and you follow them all the way through or until they exit. And I thought that, at least for me, made it a much more enjoyable experience kind of from the get-go. Whereas some of the other books have been very, like, we have these people here that show up at the beginning. And then they disappear for, like, three books. And then somebody else comes in and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So many, they're real, like, long, curvy roads. Whereas this one I felt was a little bit more straightforward. And I really like that. Yeah, it was a, a chase scene followed by, um, you know, a shootout. <laughs> You know, like a confrontation. Mm -hmm. um, so they managed to rein it in that way where other X-Men stories are like all over the place and, you know, different plots are going. But this is all, everything was happening, you know, just a few things. There was, you know, the New Mutants uh, go to take out one of the bad guys. They have their own side thing. X-Club, which I still don't understand as a team, goes mm -hmm. and finds out, oh, shoot, these uh, oil rigs are actually these, uh, you know, generators for this big... Um, you know, uh, bubble they're putting around and uh, the Avengers show up and the Fantastic Four show up to like try to break down the bubble and uh, Thor's hammer can't get through it and um, the thing punching it can't get through it. So boy, is it strong. We, uh, you know, see Cyclops not be a turd so much as a good leader. So that's cool. Well, he's still a turd. He oh, he's a still a turd, but he's at least like a, you know, competent, not whiny turd. Th this is, this is, I think, the turning point for me when I start liking him. Mm -hmm. And I think I start liking him when he becomes unlikable for different reasons. Yeah. Part, part of the turn of the, part of the phrase, but I like Scott once he, once he, you know, grows some balls. Uh, <laughs> once, once Scott decides he's going to be like mutant Che Guevara, and he's like assassinating people, and he's leading people, and he's just decided he's had enough, and he's doing what it needs, what he feels needs to be done. That for me is when I like him. When he was like a revolutionary later, after you know post AVX, that's also when I liked him. I liked him here for totally different reasons, but um, yeah, at least for me, this is the the turning point when I start kind of respecting Scott Summers. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that makes Scott Summers so interesting here is that he is an effective leader, but that doesn't necessarily make him like a good person. And this series right. really has him embracing that, where mm -hmm. he definitely succeeds in his objectives, but the cost is really high and it drives away a lot of people who have historically been on his side. And that's, uh, yeah. Yeah, kind of wild. Yeah, you know, the the position I, he's in, they're they're an endangered species. If he doesn't do anything, then they're all going to die. And so, does it make it right? No. Does it make it what he had to do, what he was forced to do based on the situation? I think so. I mean, I we can we can guess well, but what if yeah. they, you know, but the position of the mutants think, is they're always like hated and feared by everybody. I think part of what's key here too is that I think as a reader 
because definitely not as an individual next to him his faith in hope is so kind of tangible so like real that i think as a reader you're convinced to still kind of root for him even though we're told and shown in the book right that like not everybody agrees and you have a lot more people that are skeptical about this and there's some people that kind of agree with him and that you can they're on the edge about how much they they you know believe in his cause right kind of like nightcrawler specific i think is a really good example where he tells them you know they're talking about this before they set out to go catch up to uh, to hope and cable you know does he believe like does he really believe that this is that she's the the messiah right and he's he says yes he has to and nightcrawler is like yeah i get it you know we're both men of faith now essentially we're both men of faith yeah and that is a really good moment but you can still tell that nightcrawler isn't a hundred percent like on his side he's very understanding but i think for me what was really a great moment is when he realizes that x-force was a thing right and x-force been going around assassinating people and doing these very dangerous missions and all of a sudden nightcrawler is like i will finish the mission but i do not agree with this like this is not what we signed up for yeah and it's interesting to think about like i don't know there's a lot of talk about leaders uh, who, you know, might have presented themselves as really good people, but have been involved in some kind of heinous stuff. And we could do this with pretty much every major political leader, at least in our lifetimes. You know, a lot of conversations took place uh, surrounding Queen Elizabeth and her passing. And, you know, hey, a lot of the horrible stuff of the 20th century, she yeah. lived through and her government was involved in. And mm -hmm. so it does raise a lot of questions about you know, gray morality. And I think uh, we are often very, very quick to pass judgment on people who are considering responsibilities beyond just themselves and their personal happiness. But at the same time, I also think we are often too quick to forgive them. So it's like, yes, this all worked out for Cyclops. And yes, he was definitely considering, you know, saving the entire human species, or excuse me, the entire mutant species uh, from complete extinction. And also, Hey, Black Ops Assassination Group, maybe not so great. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's yep. bad. He did a good thing in preserving the mutant race, but also some of those decisions probably need to be interrogated and heck, potentially he needs to pay for some crimes. And he kind of does in the broader perspective of like, you know, the fiction, because this leads mm -hmm. pretty directly into AVX and we read the fallout from that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just interesting questions of morality, which I think the X-Men mm -hmm. at their best are really good at exploring, uh, but yeah. they never really offer definitive answers because they kind of have to wrap up with a big punch out. Yeah. And you kind of can't totally antagonize your heroes or else, you know, they stop being your heroes <laughs> yep uh but, but i mean we're more than happy to what's 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 the hero word for villainize <laughs> uh we're more than happy to do that for Magneto or, or any other uh villain but yeah i'm so willing the other way around lionize put on a pedestal lionize that's like yeah. that's a good lionize. there you go there you go but yeah I th and i think one of the things too right is you know Definitely a Black Ops assassination group. Definitely not a great idea, but also from his point of view, right? They're so, they're an endangered species, essentially. There's so few of them. And there are active hate groups targeting and trying to kill them. And, you know, just knocking them out and throwing them in a jail cell is not doing the job, right? So as a leader, I, you know, I feel like that's definitely the choice he felt he had to make. Is that the right choice or not? I don't know. That's the, what Steven was saying. But like, that's, uh, you know, it's an interesting story or it's an interesting concept to kind of look at. And I do appreciate that he doesn't back away from it. He doesn't come up with excuses when confronted about it. He says, yep, I did this. This is my responsibility. 
I accept the blame for anything that's fallen out. That's I accept the blame for anything that's fallen out from this. And he doesn't like, you know, say like, oh, you know, Wolverine mentioned it over a nice cup of coffee. And I was just like, that's a nice idea. He doesn't throw anybody under the bus, right? Like he just fully accepts this. And I, and I, I respect that in him. Yeah. Um, uh, this is really like the best version of Cyclops in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, We're also too. only talking about one character and one thing in the book so far. But that's one of yeah. the things that makes this book so <laughs> yeah. good is that there are characters whose arcs you can kind of latch onto mm-hmm. um, in a way that I think a lot of X-Men events don't have. And I do think some of the character arcs aren't really terribly well developed. Like Beast's whole arc doesn't really happen because he spends most of this event off panel. Um, yeah. right. You get some really good arcs with Nightcrawler with Cyclops. Hope has some really good stuff that I think is borderline, like, not great. She shows up in the present day and she gets mad at Cable because Cable drags her away from, like, a package of hair decorations. And that can, at first read be very uh this is this is kind of demeaning all girls want is to be pretty that there's got to be more complexity but it really is about hope was promised this place where she would finally be safe and not have to run and she doesn't have it and that's kind of what the hair clips and everything represent i don't know yeah like the fact that there are really good character things to latch on to I, re- I just love that yeah that whole hair clip thing definitely written by a round table of men yeah yeah <laughs> but i, I don't know I, to me, yeah. I didn't read that offensive no no but it it, it is like Something they could have, I feel like a woman could have expressed that differently. Or they leaned into it and it's a dad trying and failing, but showing that he cares and just, just lowing it, you know? Yeah. Also, um, Hope's costume, like the half cape kind of like hood thing or whatever is super cool. I just think that's super cool. I, okay. So sorry, you, you mentioned her costume. Uh, this is one of my complaints about having the book or the story constantly switch between artists and and writers because typically not an issue. Her costume changes Every issue, especially once they're at that hotel room after she gets the little beauty clip thing. It, it is so consistently inconsistent because in some issues she just has like only the, the bodysuit. In others she has the cape. Then later we see her suiting up in one book where she has like all of the gear. She has like all of the bandages and the belts and everything like all over her body. Yeah. And then the next issue she's back to just the half cape. Like it is... It, I wish it wasn't uh, so... Inc- so like distracting but when the book is so good like there's nothing bad to complain about like that sticks out to me that sticks out this time like i was too caught up in the story the first couple of times i read it to notice the Mm -hmm. art a lot and i think i was remembering the umberto ramos art from um messiah complex the first part of this story where i was like this is so good i don't know anything about the new x-men who cares look at surge she's got cool things on her arm look at look at how good Anol looks with it and like rock slide is so cool you know and it was like mm-hmm. who, are the, who gives a crap about these characters but when umberto ramos draws them you're going to care about them this one rereading it this time i was like ah oh, some of this art is like fine but it's expressionless and kind of just barely like the anatomy is like yeah okay but it's not as like punchy as it could be it's not as sharp as it could be uh, and then you have the Dodson's work, Spreckled, uh, spre- spreckled? that's not even a word, Speckled, <laughs> Sprinkled, Sprinkled. Then you have the Dodson's work sprinkled throughout, and it's gorgeous, uh, great line work and coloring, and, you know, everyone has a good distinctive look in those, and I, yeah, it was a shame that we couldn't get consistency like that. Yeah, and then you 
you line those up pretty much right next to Greg Land, who everybody, every woman is is either mid-orgasm or Pamela Anderson or both. Mm-hmm. Do we have to have the Greg Land conversation again? We're not. We're not. I'm just going to make one. That's, that's, I'm going to make one complaint. You have to call it, it out a, when it happens. Like, you have to point out, hey. If you see Greg Land, say Greg Land. See something, say something. Yeah. I, th- I think here, here's what bothers me, too, right? I've made my piece that. That that is what I'm gonna get is I'm gonna get Pam Anderson in mid coitus poses from Greg Land. <laughs> My complaint is that he can draw you know beautiful women. He can draw like big burly men, but <laughs> the one shot that he like free hands and it's like <laughs> it's Psylocke's butt and it's just a square brick and it doesn't even look like anything resembling a real human butt and I'm just like really. Really, that's the one thing you didn't bother to learn <laughs> or trace. Maybe that wasn't thrown in there to be like, see, see, it's not always, <laughs> it's not always curves. Sometimes you gotta, sometimes you gotta brick butt. <laughs> it's a, it's on uh, chapter four, which is like X Men Legacy two thirty five. Uh, it's like after they're like in an explosion in a plane. Uh, what's the page number? Sixteen. Anyways, that is a criminally bad drawing of a butt. And coming from Greg Land specifically, real disappointed. I figured if anybody was going to draw that well, it would be him. I just love that, like, you singled out the butt. Logan is on fire. Ariel dies on that page. And you're like, look at Sonic's butt. Like, yeah, but they look good. <laughs> this crispy bacon man looks good. I believe it. I liked that... Um, New Mutants got a chance to shine. They got their own separate mission to go fight. And I like that Warlock looks crazy. Everyone else, like, has their own style. And then Warlock's like, nope, I'm still going to look like this crazy, like, you know. Well, good like gracious, it is just Pamela Anderson over and over again. I never noticed about that this issue, but, like, there's a lot of that. It's everybody. It's all the women. Ugh. At some point, if, if in one panel they're not Pamela Anderson, at another point they will be. Yeah. Uh, well, but apart from that, yeah, I mean... I think the other, the only other thing, and it's also, uh, I want to get it out of the way because I love their art, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but the posing from the Dotsons is mm. can mm, can be really distracting, and I'm not gonna say it takes away agency from from Hope or the female characters, but come on, some of those, a lot of a lot of the poses just do not the Hawkeye rule, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Hawkeye, and it's not just him, right? It's a, it's a lot of these artists, but. I think the Dotsons is almost the worst in, in this scenario. But anyways, I just want to get that out of the way because, like, those did not ruin the experience for me. They didn't, like, necessarily take, take me out of the book. But, like, it they is just They will age one of those the things. poorest out of all the different images that come from this. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like it wouldn't have been nearly so... I don't want to say egregious, but I don't think it would have been nearly so distracting if it wasn't for the fact that every book we are switching between one of, was it like four or five teams? Yeah. So you can constantly see those things where like, I think in a single creator team, or if you had a longer span, you kind of just get used to those things and you're like, well, this is an aspect of it, whatever, we'll move on. But the fact that you go from like Addy Granov art over to, you know, the Dotsons, then over to Greg Land and just so on and so forth. And it's kind of like, okay, like it can be a little distracting on top of already having to switch styles. I, yeah, I wasn't a fan of, um, I think it's Addy Granov on, uh, this is the second to last one, so X-Force number 28, um, it's like chapter 13 in this. 
I did one of the one of the cool things about this was how they use um, Legion David mm-hmm. Holland. How um, Professor X kind of unleashes him, and he's you know really competent against them Sentinels because he keeps switching who's in charge, <laughs> and how they have like managed his um, personalities. You know, everyone's got a little oh, box like and a... just takes a turn, and yeah. Yeah, I, I also love the little dialogue between the personalities when one of them is like when he's switching after he's already yeah. had one out, and yeah. they're like, "Oh, I just got out of here." Yeah, Dagnabbit. Yeah. But they all are like on board, like, okay, we got it, like, you know, we do our bit. The one of the things narratively that I think I would be chuffed about if I was just, you know, John Doberman, mutant werewolf, <laughs> hanging out here with the X Men <laughs> is that <laughs> three teleport, well, four teleporters are taken out, three are definitely dead, and only one of them gets a proper funeral. And it's not even, like, a mass funeral for, like, all the teleporters, right? It's specifically a funeral for Kurt Wagner, who we love dearly, but, like, nobody else gets, like, respect. It feels all right. a little... One, one, we don't see it on screen, because who cares? Two, who cares? Exactly. Three, uh, Ariel, like, that's a neato power. She has a neato look, but, like, I don't know, I don't she, I'm, you know. I'm, I'm just saying, if I was in the X-Men and my best friend is a teleporter and he's just, they've just been eliminated in this war. And so is Kurt Wagner and he gets like this whole procession and it's this very beautiful thing. And I'd be like, hey, yo, what about my buddy? They're like, oh yeah, this guy too. Um, my other point was that um, the, one of the one of the teleporters was named Telford Porter. So... <laughs> And he got killed in a brothel, so, I mean, yeah, we're going to give the uh, good Catholic boy, you know, <laughs> the sometimes priest, you know, straight-edged Kurt Wagner maybe a bit more dignity than, like, oh, man. Oh, he man. probably listens to Rise Against. <laughs> I'm going to say it. Jack Russell is a better comic book character name than Telford Porter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Jack Russell. It owns that it's silly. Nobody is going to name their child Telford Porter. I I, now I'm thinking, that. like, is there, there, there has to be, like, an Irish assassin out there named Rick O'Shea. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I Still it. better than Telford Porter. <laughs> oh, I caught you in my crosshairs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> is he a leprechaun as well? <laughs> yeah, this is a comic Le- book character. He's going to be, like, yeah, okay. Le- Irish Le- to Le- 11. sniper assassin, I'm okay. Wearing a Guinness <laughs> beer helmet. Yeah, he's a leprechaun. His name is Rick O'Shea. <laughs> I never miss. You can keep going. I'm out of ricochet jokes. Oh, no, no. That's, I was waiting for that to dry up a little bit. Uh, I definitely didn't want to interrupt the genius. <laughs> yeah, you won't. <laughs> Boy, X-Men comics were never subtle, were they? You remember, you, you remember how no, like the villains in this group, it's like this uh, coalition of different anti-mutant organizations, and one of them is just straight up called The Right? Yeah. <laughs> Subtlety is for wussies. Yeah, um, apparently. They're all, you know, that's, there's all that kind of motivation too. Like there's a lot of this like religious rhetoric along with it. You know, they, they have uh, magic. They take her out and send her to limbo with some like spell cannon thing. And they, you know, she's white devil and blue devil is uh, nightcrawler. Um, I don't know. Kind of cool that Archangel is the one who um, kills William Stryker by slicing him in half with his uh, Archangel wings. So that's that's something. Um, yeah. I, I will say that one of the things I 
did like is how it felt like the consequences here felt real mm -hmm. and having read some of the stuff after this you can like some of these consequences are still being felt right like kurt was dead for a while yeah after this and so yeah was uh, what's her yeah so was cable uh i think what was it danny who had the prosthetic leg danny uh, was star shan koi man oh right yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Impact. Um, that like that was a thing. I think somebody else also lost an arm. Hellion lost his like hands above the wrist. Yeah, uh, but I don't know how that plays out. Telford Porter is probably still dead. <laughs> uh, in, Which is in this own... age of uh, you know Kokoro no probably not actually yeah he's, yeah he's actually probably around again yeah oh, yeah especially especially now because at least it's not it's different right like. <laughs> Because the big complaint with comics, or like you know, especially with Marvel and DC comics, that nobody ever stays dead, and the X Men stuff t tends to lean into that pretty hard. And I love that they've just deep dived so hard into it that it's now kind of like permanent, or not permanent, but it is like a very big part of the mutant lore now. Is the fact that yeah, nobody stays dead, and we're aware of it, and it's not even a joke. We take it seriously now. But uh, at least at the time, right now, some of these some of these things felt real, right? Because I mean, how long? Can you imagine like being a you know a nightcrawler stan and reading this book and then just you know six months later like oh, they still haven't brought him back I'm getting real nervous. Yeah, I think how long did Wolverine stay dead? Like eighteen months, if that. Yeah, which in like, comics it's a pretty long time. That's true. It was like a big All deal, and it was like we know it's coming back, but yeah, harder harder for Nightcrawler because I think it was longer. I remember, <laughs> I remember seeing that they they were bringing him back and i remember it being like a real swashbuckly book yeah like very like pirate based i think oh yeah like literally he was arc. on a pirate ship in heaven <laughs> like yeah. with a bunch of little blue devils called bamps yeah so i never read that i just remember seeing the the previews you know advertisement for it and just being like he was dead <laughs> yeah <laughs> what? how long <laughs> So the reason I, I like this comic, I bring this comic up, and, and I, I think it's really the relationship with Hope and Cable. And rereading it, it's pretty simple. It's, you know, girl who has, like, you know, great power, but, like, is, doesn't know what it's going to be, is unsure of her place, hasn't had a minute pretty to, Pretty big like, responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> Piece of crap. <laughs> Got me again. Aha, Spider-Man strikes again. <laughs> no, but just, uh, I, I was reading this and, you know, getting into this comic about the same time as I was becoming a dad. And it's just, you know, it hits different when you um, have a little little baby girl. And uh, when I go to Comic-Con, the uh, image from Messiah Complex of Cable holding Hope out in the snow for the first time. And he's like, you know, five minutes before dawn, kid, it's going to be all right. We're going to make it, you know. And he has to, like, flee literal monsters and assassins and you know the whole world to keep her safe you know it's kind of like you know subtle metaphors about parenting can can go take a hike um <laughs> it just uh i don't know I get, I get sad when he dies and i know he's, he comes back as like a younger hotter cable but like you know it's still oh, yeah he's like a teen right now huh i think he's a teen now he came back briefly as like a weird like he had a weird arm kind of thing i don't i don't know because there was but a cable he have in the a weird arm now <laughs> I mean, like a weird one, like not a cool one. He has a cool one. Oh, this one's pretty weird. I'm also not gonna lie. I think in any other, I think without context, I probably would have laughed at the scene of Hope falling asleep holding this dismembered metal arm. I don't know. Yeah. Something about that was a little funny, but in the moment, in the in the context of the whole thing, I was like. <laughs> <laughs> 
you weren't making like hey, it's like Mrs. Nesbit kind of jokes where <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> that was a that was a really good that was a really good moment. And, and it's a shame like that that moment like where and the, like the moments where like she's fighting off Bastion too like that's yeah my least favorite art of all the artists that they they had but like yeah I was swept up in it so like only really looking back at it again you're like oh this could have been like you know yeah. much cooler scale and everything. But I, I mean, it still works. Um, mm-hmm. you know, seeing her use all those powers, I think it's something. I don't even know if they fully. Well, I'm sure. I mean, they had to. If she had her own series, like Hope and the Five Lights, I think was like her following up, like trying to track down these mutants, you know, and then mm-hmm. AVX and everything like that. She kind of just can replicate whatever power she's presented with. I don't think she can. You know, this we see like her, a heightened state where she just is naturally, you know, instinctively using all these powers to beat the Sentinel and to stay one step ahead. It's her ahead avatar of state. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. The, the Messiah state. Yeah, she she Cora's all over the place. Um, Whoa! <laughs> what? It's not like I said yip yip, and then <laughs> I just like the father daughter relationship. I wish there was more of it in the book, but I think that they, you know, couldn't slow down the plot. Um, yeah. We you know we do get these moments, and when she discovers her power, you know, she said like, "Was there you know a time that you feel like that?" You know, the, the time that, you know, she feels that, you know, uh, is when Cable said, yeah, the first time I held you. And it's like, this guy had his own series. He had a series with Deadpool. He, like, had his own island. He had all this stuff. And this is, like, the ultimate part of his existence is is just keeping her safe and just being a dad and, and just doing his best. And so, yeah, you know, he was he was a 90s tons of pockets and big guns hero. And now he's just, you know... a, a a dad doing his best. Yeah, and I think the moments that we do get of the fatherhood, right, of that relationship between the two of them. I mean, yeah, I'd like there to be more, and I really actually would have liked to read a Hope and Cable comic that, you know, would have really kind of fleshed that out. But I think the few moments that we get here are, I think they're very, they're very well done, right? Like, we get the whole thing... Because he is in a tough spot as a father and as a protector and as a time-traveling, techno-organic, virus man. <laughs> <laughs> He's in a very tough spot where he's, you know, he's essentially taking care of the, of the mutant messiah. He's traveling back and he's kind of made this promise and immediately they, they're launched into like this war zone, right? And so his instincts are to, you know, keep her alive, keep both of them alive and, you know, get to safety. So he's on high alert mode, right? And like you mentioned at the beginning, it's she was given a promise of peace, of finally getting to rest and so we have that conflict of the two and we see that in that corner or not corner we see that in that store scene where she's looking at the little uh beauty kit right yeah and like that's a distraction that's a point of anger but that's also a bit of a slap to the face for him a little bit of a wake-up call that like she's hurting differently than he is and so he gets that for her and like that is a that's like a really good moment later right when they're in the hotel he gives her that and she has you know she comes out she's all happy and you know he's He's being real nice about it, but the whole thing. Um, then later, that conversation about the, the final time jump. And I think in a very dramatic comic book X-Men sort of way, when he comes back from the future and dies, right? And like like his last kind of effort wasn't even to kind of to save the group. He just wanted to see Hope again one last time. And he knew it was, you know, he knew he was going to die anyway. Whether it was he was going to die in the future or he was going to die going back. But if it was a choice between dying without seeing her one last time or not, or 
Yes, I don't know. I, my English is hard. <laughs> <laughs> but between those two choices, you know, he wanted to see her one last time. And I thought that was like a well done, well well done uh, moment there at the end. Yeah, it's my biggest complaint about this story is that it almost requires having read Messiah War specifically uh-huh. in order to mm-hmm. really get the, the uh, full impact of Cable's death. Yeah. Which is a little unfortunate because if I remember correctly, Messiah War didn't do super hot on our list. It's not as good as Messiah Complex or Second Coming, in my opinion. There is some really cool stuff. Um, I think that is one that really suffers from inconsistency in art. Because we have this confrontation with Strife and he's in this throne room and it's all cool and Bishop's there and there's a baby Hope and, you know, Strife and you know, all of that kind of stuff. And then, like, one issue, like, we have this cool, like, all these backgrounds and stuff. And the next issue, it's, like, very plain blank room where they're all just standing around and it's like, come on. John, like- John I don't, I don't want to discredit what you're saying, but I think in a book where Strife feeds baby food to... Cyclops in the mouth with its fingers. The art, I don't think, is the main culprit of why it's not good. That wasn't Messiah War. That wasn't? That was Executioner's Song. Ah! Different strife uh, crimes against readers. Anyways, point stands. I don't think the art was the biggest problem in that book. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Uh, I'm a little sad because I got excited because you mentioned strife and I was like, I remember this book. Yep. Yep. Um, um, but yeah, like the the you know me, I'm all about you know cranky dad has to raise a child and thus be exposed to the wonders of life and regain his lost optimism. Like those stories are totally my jam. Um, and so I love the the cable hope dynamic. And there's not really enough of it in the story to get the payoff unless you've read some of the other stuff, Messiah Complex, a little bit of Messiah War. Um, but yeah, what actually struck me the most here um, is I really bought Cyclops' morning for Cable. Despite yeah. the fact that Cable looks like several times over his grandpa, that's Cyclops' kid. And, you know, stories about dads losing their baby boys uh, hit me very differently nowadays than they did a couple years ago. I'll, I'll bet they do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, like, the, and that's the thing about this Messiah War, or excuse me, uh, Second Coming, has weirdly good emotional through lines for this crazy yeah. complex X-Men event. And there's a lot of good action, too, um, and there's a lot of, like, the plot itself is pretty compelling. The, the resilience of these, you know, mutant warriors in their last days... Uh, before possible extinction is itself kind of cool to read, but it's it's these character moments and these little relationships, informed as they so often are with decades of ridiculously convoluted X-Men continuity that really make this a story worth reading. Mm-hmm. I think one of my favorite emotional stories here, um, and I'm hesitant to call it a story because it's kind of multifaceted, is the whole discovery of X-Force and kind of the problems that brings, right? Kind of the fr- one of the first ones that we see is Nightcrawler and his, you know, new schism with, with Cyclops. The existing schism between 
Beast and Cyclops because of that. The new kind of reaction from Storm, not just at Cyclops, but also Wolverine. And like a lot of that is, you know, it, it ties into other, you know, emotional stories. And I think my kind of favorite one or the one that I felt for the most is Wolverine mourning Nightcrawler. Because they all they all mourn him. He was everybody's friend. He was the lovable blue elf. But it hit him like particularly hard. So that scene where he's sitting down, you know, surrounded by, by beer bottles and, and, you know, he's just kind of tired at that point. Um, and Storm comes in and, you know, essentially tells him that, like, hey, I don't agree with this. And, you know, kind of gets on this, you know, moral conversation. But kind of like this whole attitude that Wolverine has at the moment where he's like, I you know, I would I would have killed, you know, a hundred more people if it would have if it would have helped make sure that he was alive. Knowing that that's exact opposite of like what Nightcrawler would have wanted. Right. But I think those are interesting emotional set pieces and and i love how much that discovery or the outing of x-force really drives some of those emotional points i don't know what else uh there is to say i'm i'm relieved you guys uh enjoyed it because it was a it was a big read and uh you know something i've been like hey hey second coming it's gonna be a thing let's read it let's read it you know and it was like ah we'll get around to it eventually we'll get you know yeah okay okay all right all right and i'm especially grateful because i know that next month marvel zombies is coming back (laughs) so this is like this is the light uh before the, the the stars wink out i guess i don't i don't know it's just it's always a bummer coming back to marvel zombies I will say, though, that, you know, it is a big read, right? It's 14 chapters, and there's, like, a, a few, like, additional readings as well, if you want to do that, plus the two, the first two parts of this epic, right? But at least this book in and of itself, it reads well. Mm-hmm. Like, at least to me, it read really well uh, in the sense that, like, yeah, well, the art, you, you kind of get used to not being used to the art because it keeps switching every every chapter but uh in terms of narrative it is kind of refreshing to read an x-men event where the end of one book leads straight into the next book and i don't have to wonder who who are we following and when are we (laughs) yeah how many how many days in the danger room are they just doing reps where the thing that was hard last time is now like no big deal yeah yeah or it's like hey Somebody's abdu- uh, somebody's abducted this baby, and then the next book starts, and it's like, hey, we're in 50 years in the past, and here's somebody in the corset. What's going on? And it's like, what? <laughs> you, really, that, that, you, that, really, that, you really don't like um, Phoenix, Dark Phoenix, do you? <laughs> you know, considering that like, I can open up one book, and they're at the school, and the next book, they're like, I can just open to a random page, and they're maybe in outer space, or maybe in a secret the magic dimension. Yeah, I don't know. It was a little hard to follow sometimes, John. You're right, Aldo. X-Men is great. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think... no, I, I enjoyed it. I I thank you for giving me the experience of reading this book <laughs> that I would have never otherwise chosen to read. <laughs> that is a relief. I, uh, <laughs> I just, you know, X-Men is going to stay relevant because, unfortunately, there's always going to be an other in the world we live in. And I think seeing stories like this make us think of ourselves like if we can relate to those who don't always fit in, then we can become better people. And Am I a bad X-Men fan for thinking that when the X-Men aren't an allegory for the other, they're better? I You, you might just like fighting. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'd have to like stack up the books of like, okay, this is, this is about social justice and <laughs> this is about changing into other people 
people and taking over mines. And this guy makes big pinball machines that kill people. Hey! <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe God Loves Man Kills will, will convince me otherwise. That's. I thought we read God Loves Man Kills, didn't we? Have we read that one? I thought we did. God Loves Man Kills? No, I don't think we yeah. have. Not for the podcast. <gasps> well, there you go. I was sure that we had. No, but I think I think we do need to take a bit of an X-Men break before we, before we, we visit that well, one. Well, uh, maybe not much of a break. Um... <laughs> Anyway, uh, are we ready to rank this? I'm, I'm ready to get that rank stink on me. That's a callback to a previous episode. <laughs> That's a callback. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case it wasn't clear because of the awkward silence and all. Currently on our list, we have 208 stories. Our highest ranked X-Men story is the Dawn of X Prelude. That's the House of X, Powers of X at number 12. Our lowest ranked X-Men story, and I said rank instead of ranked, but you know, is actually number 207, uh, which is the Draco. Kind of a terrible story. Active character assassination. Active character assassination, as opposed to <sighs> literal character assassination, which is what happens in this book. To the same character. But, it's, but it was good character assassination. <laughs> Um, he has an arm through him when he teleports. That's really rough. That's a rough way to go. Yeah, you really gotta hand it to him. He knows how to go out. Whoa. <laughs> really taking the story places. You really went out on a limb for that one. <laughs> I'm hanging by a pretty thin cable here. By your fingertips. I'm, I'm just really hoping that we can keep carrying this joke on. Just gotta knuckle down and get it done. So what digit on this list does this book go into? Number digit ranking. <laughs> Segways. So where do we want to rank this? I think Aldo and I are doing just fine without you trying to get us back on track with that nonsense. <laughs> Uh, I'm thinking, uh, never mind, I'm not thinking, head empty. So, I think one thing that we should consider is that we currently have Messiah Complex at number 21. I feel like Second Coming is better than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a tighter story. And I, I think we could consider, like, ranking the trilogy, Messiah Complex, Messiah War, and Second Coming as one story. But I think that'll do it a disservice. Because if I had to say, you know, read the whole thing, it's going to go down pretty low. Mm. Well, not pretty low. Yeah. Lower than Messiah, Complex, and especially Second Coming would on their own. And I think if you read Second Coming with just a pretty cursory understanding of, like, X-Men relationships and some specific knowledge, at least, about what happened leading up to it, it's a pretty enjoyable experience in its own right. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think you can get through this without prior reading and still have, a, like, a fairly decent story i think some of the emotional points specifically around cable and hope might not hit as strong but i think a lot of the other stuff will i'm tr really trying to like the highest ranking x-men comic we have is the dawn of x prelude yep. at number 12 and that's stayed about at that spot this whole time it's only dropped one um i'm still not 100 percent convinced it shouldn't be in the top 10 but here we are there's some really it's, good stuff it's, up there though it's really close and like you know what do you what do you bump down you know certainly not hawkeye <laughs> to, to, to be fair the next 10 books are no slouches either yeah, I was looking at Demon Days, and I was like, oh, yeah, Demon Days is really good. Like, the art is just so freaking gorgeous. Um, I would dare say, I would put this above Marvel's. Whoa. I would definitely put it above Marvel's. Um, I, I think for me, my uh, my ceiling, tentatively, is probably Spider-Man Life Story. Yeah. I But I think Life Story also kind of excels in the way that this book does a little bit. It, follow me here for like a quick second in the sense that like 
both of these books take a lot of, you know, previous existing relationships and kind of stories and kind of you get a, a payoff with some of the characters, right? Yeah. Um, the Spider-Man life story hit as good if it's your first Spider-Man book? I don't know. The same way that this book, I don't know if it hits as well if you've never read an X-Men book. Mm-hmm. I think you guys are putting it a little higher than I would, um, but I'm going to let myself be be swayed by you, I think. <laughs> I mean, you can go ahead and throw something at that. I just, I'm honestly just at my ceiling, and my, my gut feeling was a, was above Marvel's, um, but I'm not so sure that that's necessarily where I would want it. But I would put it I, I, even higher. So that I think that's a that's a reasonable middle ground. Yeah. <laughs> so my ceiling might actually be the coming of Galactus. I, I had a feeling you'd say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I like Demon Days a lot, and almost would rather read Demon Days. Um, but coming of Galactus, I think, outweighs this story in historical importance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I tend, I feel like I tend to weigh that a little bit more heavily than you two do. Sometimes. Yeah. This time in particular. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm, I normally, I'm right though. in step with you on the classics, but yeah. My problem with putting so much historical importance on the cam- the coming of Galactus is the fact that, you know, uh, less or like around a dozen books up, we have Silver Surfer Parable. <laughs> yeah. So like I, as much as I like coming of Galactus and I respect it for its historical value, I think it's a better book. There's definitely one that's much better of a Galactus book. So I don't ever really feel bad about pushing the coming of Galactus down a little bit. Also, <laughs> we... We just read a 14-issue arc, 14 hefty issues of 20 pages or more. Coming of Galactus is two. <laughs> it's two uh, you know, issues. You know what? They felt about the same length. <laughs> <laughs> Say, chum, were you uh, inundated by word balloons in the old stuff? Um, yeah, then I would say, um, it's tough because I really love New Dawn, but like I have a personal attachment to, uh, Second Coming. I would put it above New Dawn at number, um, 16 because I don't think I can argue any higher because, you know, I'm I not think the only one chance, in the room. There's a chance that the Silver Surfer stuff in that, uh, Dan Slot Mike Allred run ultimately winds up going higher. Um, for the time being though, I, I think I'll go ahead and say, let's put it between Life Story and New Dawn. Okay. I'm okay with that. Hooray! Planet Hulk is in our top ten. Planet Hulk is really good! <laughs> I know, but like, I forget that sometimes, because the other one's like, I for, you know, the other one's it's like, yeah, no normal, of course, it's not going anywhere. Spider-Man, yeah. Um, Secret Wars, you know, Hawkeye, of course, Parabell, yeah. It is a little weird to think that the, the Hulk Gladiator and Outer Space book is a top ten book right next to Religious Allegory with Parable. Never stop it's really good. Just that, that one phrase. I will always come back to that phrase. It's so good in the way it gets repeated. So, uh, what was it? Never stop making them pay. Ah, okay. Plus, Silver Surfer's in Planet Hulk. Plus, Silver Surfer's in Planet so, Hulk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we like slowly sneak Silver Surfer. It's nobody's favorite, but all of a sudden we're looking at our top ten. It's like, guys, I think Silver Surfer is my favorite. <laughs> so, look at look at all the evidence. <laughs> how could he, how how could he not be my favorite? He's in every of the top ten books. <laughs> Silver Surfer is pretty close to my favorite Marvel character. I think and Parable I think he does will a lot of work there, but so does the Dan yeah. Slot run. So does his role in Infinity Gauntlet, which is one of my favorite stories. And yeah, um, actually, yeah, yeah. that that might provide us with a good segue to talk about what we're reading for next time. We need shorter readings, 
So we are doing another single out, single issue extravaganza. We're picking three single issues to read. Uh, and the first one we're going to read kind of ties into Infinity Gauntlet. It is Marvel Premiere number one. Not the first appearance of Adam Warlock, but the it, it's a it's a either a telling or a retelling of his origin story. He first appeared in a Fantastic Four issue, I believe. But yeah, Marvel Premiere number one featuring Adam Warlock. We're also going to read uh, another like, tie into a story that kind of, we kind of mentioned here at the end. Spider-Man Life Story apparently had an annual. I didn't know about it. It's a single issue uh, talking about J. Jonah Jameson and his experience during the, the Spider-Man Life Story story. And lastly, as I alluded to, we're not actually taking that much of a break from the X-Men because we're reading another X-Men story. We're reading Giant Size X-Men number one, which we've not yet read, and I'm debating whether I've ever actually read it or not at all. I'm not sure it's I have. A, it's one of the classics. It's uh, It represents like a shift from like the old X-Men to, you know, this is, this is immediately before Chris Claremont, like right, right there before the, the, the team changes and um, it really gets popular. And this, I think, does a lot to that. Yeah. So should be, should be interesting. Should be a good time. Uh, looking forward to not having to read very much because reading makes me tired sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Word bubbles are hard. They are. Actually, like, I feel like reading comics is harder than, than you think think right because you're focusing so much on the visuals and connecting that to the dialogue and your, your work your brain is working differently than it's used to when you're not when you're just reading like a book not to say that it's harder it is just different and uh, like i usually do audiobooks for like novels and things and mm -hmm. i'd love to just burn through all these classic stories but you can't do it in an audiobook because it'd be like and then cyclops shoots a guy and it makes this sound zach and then uh <laughs> and then hope's looking really worried and the and the and then the robots in half and it's really cool. And then she Wait, says, "Did he hit a guy you. named? <laughs> did he hit a guy named Zach, or is the <laughs> Mark Paul Gosler lays in a heap on the ground? <laughs> and then John Doberman appears, looking oh, slightly doggish." <laughs> <laughs>